Our nation has just been attacked by an unknown military force. Preliminary indications are that we were attacked by Galaga. Sons of bitches. Then let's blow Galaga to hell. Who's Galaga? It's an old-timey video game. 80s kind of folks like my dad used to play. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Quick Souls. These moron aliens think that the footage NASA sent up to space of us playing video games in 1982 was a declaration of war. Hosted by Arnie. I'm just a loser who's good at old video games. Justin. You just need to channel your genius into something productive. And Stuart. And this is the Wonder Kid, also known as... Your worst nightmare! Be warned. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. We have a positive can-do attitude. I'm kidding. We are all gonna die. We hope you enjoy the show. Let, let the nerds take over. What was that, sir? Let the nerds take over! All your change, now your turn is done. Today, we're discussing Pixels, starring Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Michelle Monaghan, Peter Dinklage, Josh Gad, and Brian Cox, directed by Chris Columbus. That Chris Columbus? Not the guy that discovered America, the guy that made Goonies. (laughs) Both are disappointments in certain ways. (laughs) This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and for the record, I'm an amazing kisser. All us podcasters are, because we appreciate it more. And Stuart. And this is Justin. You know what happens when Warner Brothers decides to just move a movie a week in the last month? (laughs) I got plans. I I guess you could call this a plan. This is backup (laughs) plan number three. Like, I have to. As the now-playing scheduler, you just have to be ready for, like, when they do this to you. And the movie that was scheduled to come out next Tuesday can no longer come out at that time. And so Pixels is some kind of act of desperation. I don't know. It's a video (laughs) game movie. We have been going through a retrospective of video game movies. We have surpassed, frankly, the coin-op era. It makes sense that we would round back, and at some point, when we were desperate, (laughs) now, (laughs) we would cover this movie from, what, six years ago. It's been highly requested ever since we started the Now Playing Arcade, and especially started with The Wizard and The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. They're like, this is pretty much as much of a video game movie as those guys are, so when are you getting to Pixels? You know, we did Ready Player One, and video game adjacent, Mm -hmm. so people really have requested Pixels. When I posted the schedule change and that we were doing Pixels... It was almost like an Ewok celebration. I was like, you guys are more excited for it than I am because I've seen this film before. (laughs) Yeah, what does that mean that people are happy that we're doing it? Are they wanting us to bring, like, brickbats and, like, uh, pitchforks? Like, because this movie's pretty hated. Like, I feel like its reputation and that reputation of almost everything Adam Sandler touches is vilified, but I just want to put it out there. To me, Adam Sandler is a charming character actor who makes quirky movies like Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems 
and Meyerowitz stories. I have not seen the movies that make him polarized and popular. I don't know him as a broad, successful comedian. I'm kind of somewhat in that same boat with you, Stuart, but like... At some point in my life, I probably could have been classified as an Adam Sandler fan. But then, like, the more he kept doing and the bigger he got, the less of a fan I would be. And eventually, it got to the point where I was just ignoring his output, you know? So, like, by the time he was doing a Punch Drunk Love or Uncut Gems, I was like, eh, whatever. But, you know, I mean, early on, he was on one of my favorite MTV shows, Remote Control, and then he was funny on Saturday Night Live. His comedy albums were good. It's just, he put out so much that not everything could be good. So it was just one of those things where you kind of got to let it go. I'm in a very similar way as you are, Justin, is in my college years, I was a fan of Adam Sandler. I always liked Opera Man and things on Saturday Night Live. I didn't watch it religiously, but I liked him on SNL when he was there. I thought he was one of the funnier parts. And then I discovered his albums, and I laughed my ass off with those albums. Billy Madison, I didn't want to see it, but I liked Adam Sandler enough to give it a try. I think it's a classic movie now. I quote the thing all the time. Mostly, the your answer makes no sense and we're dumber for having listened. <laughs> and then Happy Gilmore, I really liked that too. And then I was like, bulletproof, I'm there! Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it then? Is it like... Because, I mean, he seems to. If I, we, we just recently covered Eddie Murphy movies. He is the closest of the Saturday Night Live players to emulate Eddie's success, at least at the box office. I'm not talking about quality. Although, you know, Eddie's got his share of stinkers, too. But I feel like he should be loved, but I feel like many people, I don't know, speak ill of him. There, there's a condescension in referring to one of those Adam Sandler movies. I think you're talking about a very similar trajectory, though, is Adam Sandler started off as a minor character. I mean, I liked Airheads a lot back in the day, and he was fourth build in that, maybe third build. And he had some hit movies early on, like Eddie, and then, like Eddie, he kind of stopped caring, right? I mean, he's <laughs> taking movies now, literally, for, where is it filming? Hawaii? I'm going there. I mean, question. Did Uncut Gems open in theaters? I saw it in theaters. Okay. Then I believe this movie we're discussing is the last movie of his that went to theaters until Uncut Gems. He just signed a multi-picture deal with Netflix, and he's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to make all these films with Jennifer Aniston and Drew Barrymore, and they're all going to suck, like, Ridiculous Six, which, Stuart, you and I tried to watch once. No, no, you're confused. You were like, we're watching this! And I'm like, huh? And you're like, Vanilla Ice! And, like, you, you fast-forward to a Vanilla Ice scene. I don't know what I saw. <laughs> we didn't watch it, but as I recall, you were the one advocating because you wanted to see Vanilla Ice in a Wild West setting, and I had Netflix. I think you're remembering it differently than I am. <laughs> I don't know why I would want to advocate for that. I don't either, but I remember being the one like, why don't we just fast forward to Vanilla Ice? Yeah, I'm quite sure that I didn't request watching an Adam Sandler movie because, again, it's just not so – like, to me, just as someone that hasn't gone there – is there much difference than him and Polly Shore? They kind of feel like Polly Shore mixed with John Turturro is what I get out of Adam Sandler. Polly Shore is always Polly Shore. No matter what movie he's in, he's always Polly Shore. 
And where I jump off the Sandler bandwagon is when he's doing a goofy character. If his whole thing is a shtick, I tend to not like those movies. Little Nicky. <laughs> yes, the water boy. You know what I'm saying? Like any of these things where he's affecting an accent and putting on airs, I'm out. Don't watch Who Be Halloween then. I thought that's what he did in all his films. See, that my my thinking was that he was kind of a sticky like like I don't know his bits, but I know people repeating his bits. Like he's basically this sad sack guy, right? And he like does these little voices and I don't know, like I'm not quite sure I get the joke, but it seems to be like kind of nerd humor. No, no, I would classify his early films as man-child. And he doesn't really do voices unless, you know, he often will have a, a temper problem. <laughs> That's kind of one thing about him is he'll just, you know, get into a rage of shouting and things. But I feel like once you got with uh, Billy Madison, he was family friendly. I think his biggest hit, even though it's not my favorite of his, is probably The Wedding Singer. Yeah, see, I'm going to throw, I should just go ahead and qualify. I did see that film. I was dragged to that film. I did not enjoy that film. I don't remember that film, other than it felt like people throwing Rubik's Cubes at me and going, 80s, 80s, 80s! But I don't even remember him in the movie. I have a columned list of Sandler movies that I've enjoyed and ones that I've hated. And Wedding Singer falls in that I enjoyed it list. You know, I'm not saying I'm a fan of it, but I enjoyed it. And I feel like it's probably the closest thing to the movie that we just watched as far as what they're trying to accomplish. It's got the same screenwriter and it definitely is about milking nostalgia of the 1980s. For sure. The joke of pixels. It seems like this should have been in the wheelhouse of if you ever liked Adam Sandler, pixels should have been delivering what you enjoyed back in the day because on paper anyway, as someone that doesn't really understand his appeal, it's connecting him with yeah, that wedding singer nostalgia that seemed to work well for him. It did feel like a bit of an attempt to return to form. I watched the first Grown Up movies because it was on. Couldn't stand it. I had no interest in Grown Ups 2. That's my boy and Jack and Jill. They're as bad as you think they are. So I don't know <laughs> why I suffered through them. I meant to get to Jack and Jill because it had Al Pacino and I was trying to see everything he was in when we were covering that retrospective, but I just didn't get there. And I guess I'm still glad about that. And that's my boy. Oh my God. I just have a, oh, sometime off air, ask me about my grandmother and that's my boy. Is that a Jack Nicholson movie? No, that's anger management. Okay. But I probably would say that after he attempted to work with, I think it was Judd Apatow in Funny People, which was a dramedy, mm -hmm. he just went off the bandwagon and was doing utter shit. And Pixels was the first film of his in like six or seven years that I said, that might not suck. And I like all these games. And I, I wanted to see it in theaters, but I just... It didn't happen. Now playing was going on, and it opened against some bigger movies. I ended up renting it on... I think I actually got a disc from Netflix still back then. I got a disc, watched Pixels on it, and didn't give it much more thought until this weekend. And I think I think there's a lot of credence to that, too, because I think I was in a probably a slightly different place at that point. I was probably on the major downside of being a Sandler fan, because I felt like after Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, he became so big that it was just ubiquitous. And it was almost as annoying as people doing Austin Power impressions every day all over the place. So it was just like, by the time Pixels came out, I was like, eh, 
whatever. It looks like it could be fun, but it's Adam Sandler. I'm done with him. So I've never seen it until we sat down for this review. Yeah, I haven't seen it, obviously. I haven't, again, I only see the weird movies that he makes with people that are trying to change his image. I haven't seen the movies that have created his image other than Wedding Singer, which, again, is a hazy memory from long ago that I have no taste for. So real fast, help me out. Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, what other films would the classic Sandler fan adore? I'd say The Wedding Singer goes in there. Okay. A lot of people like The Water Boy, but it starts to crack the facade a little bit. I'd say Big Daddy's in there. Yeah, Big Daddy, as well as Fifty First Dates. And I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, his first team up with Kevin James. I think people have fond memories of that one. Anchor Management feels really forgotten. When they made a Charlie Sheen TV series out of that movie, I'm like, out of that movie? I'm surprised anybody was doing anything out of that movie. And I don't know if people have too much love for Longest Yard, Click. I'm looking at his list of movies and just, it's like painful flashbacks. Like you don't mess with the Zohan when he tried to do Borat, basically. It's like, oh my God, that was terrible. (laughs) I'm having this experience with everything you're saying of me, like taking a moment and then going, oh wow, people actually saw that. Like, Like those are like things that I remember seeing posters for. That it would never occur to me to like actually sit down and watch Click. Oh my God. It was like about a magic remote control that made the TV come to life, right? That was an Amazing Stories episode too. It was much better on Amazing Stories. So now it's about (laughs) making like this is a continuation of that. Now we're going to make the video game characters come to life. It's worth pointing out this origin for this whole $150 million epic was a very small animation project. Like two minutes Put out in 2010, I don't know, some aspiring animator wanted to show what they could do. And so they just, it was a little short, you can YouTube it. A discarded TV set releases all your pixelated favorites from the 80s. They take to the Manhattan sky. I particularly enjoyed what would have sold me and said, get that guy a movie, was the Tetris blocks. <laughs> like the fact that he could make the Tetris fall and make like New York skyscrapers like collapse because the, the blocks fit in between the buildings. I thought that was a really cool animation trick. I saw that too. I didn't realize that's where this came from, but I was doing some research for this movie. And yeah, it's a French short. It's languageless. But I loved this short. I love Donkey Kong climbing the Empire State Building and then throwing barrels down. I love Frogger and New York traffic. I mean, I could see where somebody would see this and say, there's an idea here that could be mass marketed. It's a two minute short, but it definitely has a germ of an idea of, okay, what if we took this bigger? Yeah, and and Adam Sandler seems like a good fit for it. Chris Columbus seems like a good fit for it. He is somebody who, we haven't covered a lot of his films, but Home Alone, Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, he does a lot of child fantasies. And you say Adam Sandler's a man-child? Well, then they should pair well together. Like, the fact that he is a product of the 80s too, Goonies, that he's going to bring that sensibility in 2015, I think, would probably aid any movie that's trying to harken back to coin-op video games. Sandler and Columbus were working on a different movie, a remake of something called Hello, Ghost, a South Korean comedy. They were going to do an American version of that, and... I think that was kind of Columbus's project, and he wanted Sandler in it. And after meeting with Sandler, as he was leaving, Sandler gave him a copy of the script for Pixels. 
and Columbus was like, this takes me back to the Spielberg Amblin days. He really wanted to make this movie as kind of a throwback, not just hitting your nostalgia bone by, hey, look, it's Pac-Man, but really trying to bring back that E.T., Poltergeist, Goonies kind of feel. Ghostbusters. Like, I, I get a very strong... Certainly when you have a, a giant Pac-Man moving through the streets of Manhattan, like, I think of Stay Puff, I think of Ghostbusters, you know, four guys in, in Mini Coopers chasing him. Like, all of that feels like, yeah, someone has cracked the formula and given us Ghostbusters 3. But it didn't play that way. Boy, this thing came out, and maybe it was Ant-Man, maybe it was just the bad critical notices... But this thing ended up not making the money that it should and getting Razzie nominations. Worst picture, worst actor, actress, supporting actors, screenplay. Thank God for Fifty Shades of Grey. It didn't win in one of them, but uh, <laughs> it seemed to be hated by quite a lot. It opened against a lot of tough things. I mean, Southpaw and Paper Towns were opening the same weekend, and Paper Towns could have hit a little bit of that audience. Ant-Man in its second week is what stayed at number one. Minions was still playing. A lot of heavy traffic in that summer of 2015. And, you know, they wanted it to make $30 million opening weekend. It made 24 and went down from there. According to the Sony hack, this movie actually only cost $110 million, and they got $19 million in Toronto credits. It didn't sink the company, but nobody was happy with this. I do think this was the movie that caused some of those Sony emails about why are we giving Adam Sandler use of our personal plane? When has he last made us a lot of money? Mm, okay, so yes. The expectation was it should have delivered 200 300 $400 million and been a phenomenon, and it was a sort of a late summer fizzle that didn't do much. And when you're Adam Sandler and take a big Adam Sandler paycheck, particularly from Sony and that gets leaked, I guess then it just, it sours the water. I just feel like poor Adam Sandler's sort of an easy target. Everyone seems to like to hate him, but I guess I haven't seen the movies that would make me do so. So I'm kind of rooting for him. And coming into this movie, liking the premise, liking the things that I've seen with Adam Sandler in it, I'm hoping for good. There's a lot of names attached to this movie that on paper attracts me. You know what I'm saying? Like we've already read the cast list and every every person in this cast is somebody that I've enjoyed in other projects. So I'm ready to hop in on it just based on the cast alone. So I wasn't I wasn't afraid of going into this at this point. I think I finally reached a point in my life where I can go into an Adam Sandler movie <laughs> without a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. After everything we've reviewed, I would make love to Adam Sandler before I'd watch another Uva Bowl <laughs> film. <laughs> How true. How true. Yeah, definitely. Certainly, now that we've gone so deep into the now playing arcade, already, like, I've, I'm <laughs> delighted to be putting quarters into something that has professional polish. Like, I can see the image and the actors are people I know and are good. Yeah. Are already on the on the upswing here. I don't know how many recommends this is going to get, but it's got to be the top 25% of this arcade series. Correct. <laughs> right. Even if I give it a burning red arrow, it will be in the top five of the best <laughs> video game movies ever made. <laughs> so with that said, Arnie, low expectations. What's the plot? Let's get into Pixels. When aliens take the form of classic video game characters and start attacking Earth, President Will Cooper, played by Kevin James, knows just who to call, his childhood friend and video game wizard Sam Brenner, played by Adam Sandler. See, the aliens received a videotape that the U.S. sent into space in the very early 80s. 
and it contained MTV footage and video games. And the aliens took the video game recordings as a declaration of war. So they took the form of the creatures in the video games and came here to Earth to challenge Earth to a contest. Giant video game creatures will try to destroy the planet and humans can defend best three out of five wins. The aliens have won two games before the U.S. even understood the rules, but when Centipede attacks in London, Sam wins thanks to help by his childhood video game buddy Ludlow, played by Josh Gad. Along the way, Sam is also flirting with Lieutenant Colonel Violet Van Patten, a single mother played by Michelle Monaghan. One challenge down, Sam, Ludlow, and President Cooper decide they need another player, the person who beat Sam in the 1982 World Video Game Championship, Eddie Plant who calls himself the Fire Blaster, played by Peter Dinklage. The next challenge is Pac-Man on the streets of New York, and with help from Eddie, they win by playing the ghosts. But the truth is, Eddie used cheat codes, and he used them back in the 80s to win the championship, as well as now to try to save the planet. The aliens realize they've been cheated, so they invade with all types of pixelated attackers, including Smurfs, Centipede, Burger Time, Frogger, and more games. But the alien leader challenges Sam to one last game, Winner Take Planet. That game is Donkey Kong. Sam, President Cooper, Colonel Van Patten, and traitorous video game Cubert take on the real-life Donkey Kong, and Sam wins the game by throwing the hammer at the ape. The game won, the planet is saved, and President Cooper has negotiated a peace treaty with the aliens as credits roll. And as we start, we're in 1982. What better year to begin a movie about arcade games... Then, I mean, I think that was the first time I put a quarter in a machine. 1982. Feels right. The, the opening of this movie is giving me flashbacks to our entry into the arcade, which is King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. You know, the, the documentary that introduced us in the arcade here, you know, I mean, even Peter Dinklage's character feels like a take on Billy Mitchell. Oh, that was completely intentional. They were specifically targeting Billy Mitchell with the Peter Dinklage character. I went a different way. You went to the King of Kong. I'm like, oh my God, this young Adam Sandler character, Sam, is the wizard. He'd never played a video game before. He walks in and instantly wins Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, has a crowd gathered around him, just like the little mute boy in that Fred Savage movie. (laughs) Yeesh. Ugh. I mean, that one I'm not a fan of. So, like, you're probably right. And a really studied like, director would know both references and be going for both. And so I do think that, yes, once we finally see the championship, I definitely feel like, oh, this is why they never made the live action version of King of Kong. Like, they had been talking about doing that with actors and that's this movie. That's, that's, they took Steve Weeb and Billy Mitchell and said, it'll be even better if the games they're playing are 50 feet tall. Steve Weeb cameos in this movie, actually. Oh, okay. I didn't see him, but you know, I'm getting a lot of nostalgia. This is movie is hitting me. As I said, like where my childhood sweet spot was, video games were the thing that I, I was very good at and loved to do in 1982. So, yeah, to see him walk into that arcade, and it's called the Electric Dream Factory. There was a movie around that time, Electric Dreams, <laughs> about artificially intelligent computer or what have you. Like, I'm pretty sure that is not a reference. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, the arcade machine doesn't come alive and talk to him, thank God. And try to get him a date. 
<laughs> right. Well, I mean, but yes, I feel in here that they're going back to an 80s that is both artificial, both dreamlike, and something that I do cherish as a part of my life. So I'm on this movie side. It could just be about the kids, honestly, that, that they grow up and become Adam Sandler. Didn't have to do it. I guess I would just say I would be fine with a nostalgia movie with these child actors. You might even do that today after Stranger Things. Pre-Stranger Things, I don't know that that would have been as big a sell. Plus, if you're going to spend this kind of money... You want Adam Sandler on your poster, right? Adam Sandler brings people in, theoretically. Again, I don't know that that's my boy. <laughs> and Jack and Jill really burned up the box office. But I could understand wanting to have star power to draw to this. And I can't think of any teen stars that would pull that in. No, yeah, this is obviously, you know, what's playing here is that we know that they're going to grow up. They even kind of look like them. I definitely feel like they got a young Kevin James here cheering him on, setting up some kind of backstory for him with being good at the claw machine and wearing a Chewbacca mask. You'll have to explain that to me later. Yeah, all I'm really trying to say is it's 80s enough that I can buy into it, even though I recognize it's not totally how I remember the decade, but it's how I like to remember the decade. I got some serious problems. Like The Wedding Singer, they specifically say it's 1982, right? Oh, I know where you're going, Samantha Fox. And yet, yeah, they're talking about, oh, maybe you could marry Olivia Newton-John. I'd prefer Samantha Fox. In 1982, she hadn't wanted to have any fun back then. And then, there's always Madonna. 1982? Are you in the New York club scene? Yeah, you got to be a little <laughs> bit forgiving. Like I said, it's not the 80s as I remember it per se. It's how I like to remember it. It is this sort of fun arcade of like cherished memories all glommed together that are not historically accurate. They did not. They're getting all kinds of things wrong. But you bring up The Wedding Singer. I remember that being a very big problem for me in that movie. And here I'm finding this is sweet. I, and maybe that's just the touch that Chris Columbus has with child actors. But this stuff is all very fun. And the rivalry. I mean, obviously, the big deal here is that we have this plant guy, Eddie Plant, who psychs out Sam. He should be able to be crowned Worldwide Video Arcade Champion July 26, 1982. But because he likes patterns and the... I don't know, is this true? I can't really remember this from King of Kong. But are the barrels not following a pattern in the later levels? I feel like that's something we did learn in King of Kong, is that there is a pattern. That's how you eventually beat it. Oh, I've got a lot of problems with the video game knowledge spilled in this movie, too. It's not always right. Yeah, no, I, I'm not going to be as forgiving when we, later when they try to expand on this these notions about old video games versus new video games. And you said that that kid looked like a young Adam Sandler. I never thought they looked like Adam Sandler and Kevin James, but I thought this was Peter Dinklage. I thought they did some de-aging on him. Oh my god, the entire... Face shape, everything looks like Dinklage. And I looked it up. I'm like, that's not Dinklage in young age makeup? Wow. They did really good casting. And this guy was able to do the mannerisms. I mean, he and Dinklage probably worked together to get the body language down. But he's coming in with two Hooters girls, it looks like. And I'm having a laugh with that. 
So much so that later on in the movie, when they referenced that he was 10 years old at that time, I was like, what? That guy was at least 18. Yeah, he's annoying in the same way that Billy was annoying in King of Kong. And you just hate him instantly. You want this guy to go down. Of course, they set up that he wins in the beginning. We're going to have a rematch. Let's see what that, where that goes. But 33 years later, obviously this guy that thought he was going to marry Samantha Fox and go to MIT and live his dreams is suddenly a loser. He's Adam Sandler. He is someone that gets by by working for the Best Buy Nerd Squad, whatever. They call it Nerd Brigade here. But he's underperforming and... All right, you're really going to have to explain this one to me. His best friend has somehow become President of the United States. Well, first of all, I'm sure Bill Clinton had best friends when he was a kid who were like, Bill? (laughs) Fair enough. Bubba got president? Yeah, yeah. But he did, like, go and get law degrees and things. You know what I mean? Like, there was many years of uh, high achievement in order to see that transformation. The other thing is they were specifically basing the Kevin James character off a presidential hopeful, Chris Christie. Okay. All right. They have a physical resemblance. And, I mean, what I really get is... The president that we did have before this movie, George W. Bush Jr., who infamously, you know, like misspoke, misread, is our children learning, was reading my pet goat on 9-11. When we have this whole subplot about the fact that he can't read a kid's book to Girl Scouts and they try to correct him, I feel like they're telling us, yes, he's president, but he's an underachieving foolish president which makes me really want that movie instead like okay we just need to see how he wound up in the white house then (laughs) and he was reading at joseph nib elementary school joseph nib is a school from billy madison they love to tie these movies together some universe building there the whole kevin james character is is weird here because i mean it almost feels like the script was written in 1997 for chris farley and Mm. (laughs) 35 years later, they're making it without Farley, but Kevin James is just fine as a bumbling George Bushian type of president here. I felt in every one of the Grown Ups films that, like, Kevin James slipped into the Farley role just because he's a larger guy. And Kevin James, I thought his stand up was very fun. I liked The King of Queens quite a bit. If only because if you watch that show, you will get insights into my marriage with Marjorie. Wow. Okay. (laughs) It's just we would see ourselves reflected in those characters in many ways in the early season specifically. So I liked Kevin James quite a bit. I haven't seen every one of his movies, but I've seen pretty close to every one of his movies, but not the grown-ups. Wait, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you. Every one of his movies, that shit on the Segway, what was that, Paul Blart? Yeah, I saw Paul Blart. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying I saw it. (laughs) You actually, (laughs) like, that that blows my mind that people are like, hey, what do you want to see tonight? Paul Blart. Like, that's something that someone thought. Like, I can't imagine Because of Kevin James, I saw Paul Blart on video, (laughs) but because of Paul Blart, I didn't see Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 on video, okay? Yeah, no, and again, I'm not trying to be critical, it's just, here's, like, an actor that, like, he's been working for a decade, I can't think of anything, anything, 
that Kevin James has been in that, I mean, I don't think he's had his art film career. Like, has he done anything that I would have seen? Oh, no, I'm sure not. But <laughs> he's good in movies you haven't seen. Okay. All right. Charming. Well, his appeal is essentially like a John Goodman type. No, John Goodman can have an edge to him. If you look at Lebowski or some of his work with the Coen brothers, John Goodman can have an edge. I don't think Kevin James can ever have an edge. He's just a nice guy who's often not always that bright, but always well-intentioned. Okay, perfect for the TV series. I think you nailed it straight off the edge there, Arnie. Is He is a good stand-up comedian who is an affable actor. Yeah. And affability is good as the straight man. So he's going to be sort of the guy that like allows Sandler to go crazy. At least that's the way that I would think that it plays. Because this character, this president, is almost a non-factor in this movie. Is it fair to say he's not really part of the Arcader team? Doesn't do much until the end? Like, I feel like he's sort of setting up Adam Sandler to be Adam Sandler and, and to be funny. I think when I see this movie, I go back to Independence Day, and, you know, you had Bill Pullman in it as the president orchestrating the people against the alien attack, and in the end, Bill Pullman hopped in an airplane, but before that, he was just kind of wandering around being given information, and God help us, Adam Sandler's our Will Smith. Yeah, well, which again, <laughs> Bill Pullman, straight man, uh, Will Smith is going to be the one to steal the scenes and go big and be hilarious and, you know, theoretically. I don't like that film, but yes. So that's what I'm expecting, but it really is a surprise that this is one of their few scenes together and President Cooper more or less drops out of this movie. Like, the childhood friendship that they had barely factors into the adventure that follows. Initially, having Kevin James as the president in this movie, my thoughts were like, oh, I mean, it's just all you know, a device to get them into the White House, into the war room, and have a reason for them to be there. Kevin James could have been the vice president. He could have been just somebody in the cabinet to get that there. But I think what it does mostly is tell you what level this movie is asking us to engage with it on. <laughs> okay. It's fantasy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is a 14-year-old's idea of how life works. Yeah, I definitely am, yeah, setting my expectations to not ask sophisticated, now playing, prying. But why would he be, like, of course he's not the president. He would never be the president. This is not to ask. Don't go there. No more realism than necessary. The thing is with this president, he has a subplot that really goes absolutely nowhere. In the beginning, he's mocked on TV. They talk about how terrible his presidential ratings are, etc., and, of course, by saving the Earth by the end of the film, he's going to be the most beloved president ever. None of this matters. It's not like he gets more juice when people like him or something. It's just a pretty standard redemption story. But it is fun to think of a president hanging out at, like, a burger joint with a friend who has an ordinary job. It would never happen. I don't think you could get a president alone in a place with just an ordinary guy. But it's a fun scene. I agree with you, Justin. It's like a kid's vision of if my friend were the president. And you would expect, this is a real role reversal. You would expect that Sam would be the one that would be president. He would be the one, uh, a world leader. He had so much going for him at 13. Why is he getting into the orange van and going to install a TV set? It is really an interesting scene to see him drive up there. First of all, 
this installation, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm thinking about home theater upgrades, but he's putting an 85-inch 3D curved television on a kitchen wall? Where's that receiver going? Now playing question, Arnie. Now playing question. <laughs> We're not asking them. As Justin has already stated, set your meter for the appropriate level of realism. Okay, then I'll go back down a few levels to we meet this kid, Maddie, whose dad left his mom for a Pilates instructor named Cinnamon with an S. Right. Yeah. It seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, help me out, Sandler, devotees and ex-devotees, he always does hang out with a kid, and he always has a romantic storyline. It's pretty common. I wouldn't say always, but yes, he's he's always kind of the lovable doof that the leading lady comes around on. Because her kid likes him. No, not always with a kid. I mean, there was definitely no kid in Wedding Singer or Happy Gilmore. Maybe you could count some of the grade school kids in Billy Madison, but I don't think that was really a factor. No kids in The Water Boy. He was the kid. Again, he's the man-child. But yes, there is Big Daddy. Little Nicky. He was Little Nicky. Oh, okay. Yeah. Honestly, I think this kid is here because I think whoever wrote this story was smart enough to realize that Adam Sandler is just a little too old to be the eternal man-child, and we do need a younger kid for that perspective. Oh, dead on, Justin, because he's pulling the same kind of jokes with this little romance that he pulled in those classic films like Wedding Singer. When you're just on the cusp of 30, man-child can play cute. He's 50 when this is filming. Not only does it not play, I don't think Sandler wants to do it. His delivery just isn't there. He's saying the lines that would have been written for him 25 years earlier, but they're just not hitting. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, it's not my problem with the movie, but I can understand why you would feel that way if you had watched him do this for 20 years. Like, I accept it because I, I believe that this is what he does. I mean, you know, you can't get mad at Charlie Chaplin for putting on the mustache and, you know, doing the bit with the cane and the little tramp and all of that. Like, this is what he does. I should expect no different. But it does feel like well-worn shtick. Yeah, and to to your point, Arnie, I, I don't know if, I mean, maybe to give Sandler a little bit of credit, maybe he also knows that it doesn't play that well at this age, so he's taken some of the edge off of it and is just kind of going through the motion. And here he's paired with Michelle Monaghan. I'm not sure how well that works. It was supposed to be Jennifer Aniston, but she was like, no. She was just like, no? What, like, I've already <laughs> done three of these this year, I can't do another one? Like, like this is what she does. They've made three movies together so far, counting the Netflix murder mystery one, but this would have been another one. You mean, like, in total? Yeah. I thought she did, like, three a year with him. Like, what? I, okay. <laughs> I just guess I just don't know enough about this. It was Drew Barrymore there for a while that was in all of them. Right. I, like, it had to be either be Drew Barrymore or her, and there was nobody else. I didn't know that he, you know, worked with other actresses. But Michelle Monaghan is a non-factor. I don't really, I know her as being pretty forgettable in Mission Impossible movies. Because of Mission Impossible, I think she plays a better lieutenant colonel than Jennifer Aniston would. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah, I non-factor for me she's fine i like her she she's one of the celebrities on my like laminated list of five wow i don't know what it is about her i've just always kind of had a thing for her i mean i've enjoyed her and everything i've seen just kind of kiss kiss bang bang i think she had a pretty good role there oh she was great in that yeah oh i didn't realize that was her but yeah that's a good movie 
So you would eat the Tic Tacs for her and, and or yep. maybe fully brush your teeth in order to have this scene. <laughs> you know, there's always Madonna, Justin. But how about ScarJo? <laughs> the new Madonna? <laughs> that scene was slightly, they call it out as embarrassing, but it did feel like this is who we really wanted to get, but they won't even return our phone calls. <laughs> Halle Berry's like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> now I just got to get my degree from MIT and I've got a shot with Michelle. Or at least Serena. <laughs> but I do like the idea that, like, I mean, I can see where all of this is going. Maddie is a gamer, but he knows Halo and Call of Duty, and so he's more modern, and he's going to have a different perspective. And then you have this classic arcade player, and then the mom that's, well, we'll find out she's military. All of this feels like it's leading correctly into what we're finding out over in Guam, that Space Invaders ships from Galaga are flying down and turning Anderson Air Force Base into pixel bricks. Galaga is one of the most classic video games, period. It's been voted many times best video game of all time. I would have liked to have held Galaga back for an interactive experience versus just seeing them mess up this base in Guam. I don't like Galaga, and I can tell you why. There's no characters associated with it. I always liked the video games that had a, a cartoony icon. You know, like, that's what endeared me. That's why you always go back to Pango? Yeah, Pango. Exactly. It's my man. I agree with you, Stuart. Like, I feel like this movie is is a little bit misstructured as we get into it, because we're going to find out that there's four major set pieces, and I feel like they could have used one more. And it needed to be something iconic. Like, we could add a Dig Dug <laughs> level at some point. How could you not do something like pole position? It feels like racing would just be natural. Is Mario not in here at all? Or is that even not classic video game because he's not coin-op? Well, we got Donkey Kong, which stars Mario. Okay, good point. And in the background during the final invasion, I definitely saw Mario. And I was like, oh, Nintendo let them use their mascot. It was a blink and you miss it, Mario, but he was definitely among with the Smurfs and all the other things there. But here we get Galaga, and if you're thinking Space Invaders, I would have gone with how the Pixel Short did and gone classic Space Invaders. Those jumping jack kind of guys, I mean, I played the hell out of Space Invaders in, in both Arcade and Atari 2600. I mean, that would have been a really fun opening, but... Galaga is more beloved, you know. It's also more colorful. I mean, in any incarnation, Space Invaders is always just white on black. So just from a design standpoint, they, they can't have their first attack be this monochromatic 8-bit pixel thing going on on screen. Yeah, you got a good point, but just think about the endless march of boom, 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 boom. And then they come lower. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, it's... It's iconic and the sound design is. Yeah. I know Space Invaders. I don't know Galaga that well. It, it, you're blowing my mind to say it's the most beloved video game of all time because that was one I never stood in line for at the arcade. No way. I'm with you, but you know, it's funny. I'm a Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Asteroids guy, but I married a Galaga girl. And it was surprising to me when I was researching this movie. I'm like, Galaga? Best game of all time? Wow, I guess I missed out. But to me, I honestly think that the patterns were a little too complicated for me, the way they spun around and things. 
I preferred a little bit more straightforwardness because I was seven. Yeah, and patterns are actually what they get into here. It's why Sam gets called to the Oval Office. He's the first one to identify the ships as being from Galaga. And he can be nerdy enough to say, it's not the Galaga you download on your phone now, because that was some debugged 1986 version. These are the original 1982 game players. I don't know if that's true or not, but I will accept, because we've had the opening that we did, that he knows his 1982 arcade games that well. And he is telling us, in this scene, you should be hiring me. And everyone in the war room is like, nah. I looked this up, put this Galaga thing right next to Batman number 14 in The Lost Boys, where they say there's only like eight in creation. Yeah, there is no Galaga 1986 where they took away the 1982s and they'd already ported it to several systems in 1983 and 1984. And so nobody changed the Galaga code to where, no, wrong, just fake, but... It's letting the man-child in the orange shorts look like he has something to say in front of the cabinet and the war room, including Brian Cox as a grumpy, what would he be? They call him General, and I was trying to think if he's on the cabinet, what that role is. Oh, Joint Chiefs of Staff? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I mean, again, we're not looking at that because this is not that world. This is the child world where Kevin James can be president. So, you know, he's on the cabinet. (laughs) Yeah, this is the world where you can drive up to the White House. Yeah, right. Yeah, no one else is there. Like, uh, what I'm saying is I'm having a pretty good time. Like, we're this far into the movie and I'm not having any problems until Sam goes back to his van and they had to fucking call Josh Gad. Really? I hate this guy. Okay, me too. Why is Josh Gad famous? Uh, he <laughs> apparently killed it. I saw this play. I did not see him in the role, but I could see him doing very well in it. He was one of the Mormon missionaries in the Book of Mormon. Okay, because I know Josh Gad primarily as this guy who made viral videos annoying Daisy Ridley for Star Wars spoilers. And... I understand he's a voice in Frozen, and I understand Frozen's a big movie everybody loves. I'm too old for Frozen, I'll just put it out there. But every time I see Josh Gad, I always feel like he was their third or fourth person on the list they wanted to call. I feel like someone in a lab literally tried to make Jack Black, (laughs) and it went horribly, horribly wrong. And I find it funny, because Adam Sandler was in The Wedding Singer, Josh Gad was in The Wedding Ringer. And yeah, he just, I saw him step on a movie called Love and Other Drugs. Oh, yeah. And apparently was Razzie nominated the same year for it. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I just don't mind him. Like, he doesn't hit me the same way he hits and rubs you guys wrong. He's He can be funny. He can be over the top. He can also be annoying. So he's not going to ruin the movie for me one way or another unless he really goes over the top. Isn't that Sandler's job, though, to be the over the top one? It's kind of weird that Sandler is low energy and suddenly Josh Gad seems to be doing at least how I imagine Sandler would be performing 20 years ago. Mm, Your imagining of how Adam Sandler was isn't how Adam Sandler was. Okay. All right. At least all the time. He usually has crazier people around him, like Rob Schneider or somebody. I mean, he's usually deadpan funny, not crazy funny. Deadpan. Oh, wow. That is so not how I think of him. I think of him as very shticky. He does do voices in, like, The Water Boy, and yes, like I said, he has his moments of rage. I think one thing I quote from him from The Wedding Singer is, Things you could have told me yesterday! 
I mean, there's those moments. Yeah, exactly. But mostly, you've seen The Wedding Singer. He mostly just sits around mopes and writes love songs. He does not go over the top that much. Yeah, my memory of that movie is not with him in it. Like, again, it just felt like a parade of 80s things trying to say, hey, we're jokes because it's the 80s. But at any rate, so Josh Gad is going to be the bigger, the biggest comedic performer in this, in that he's going to be babbling about conspiracies. And because he still records on VHS tape, he has picked up the alien broadcast. Is that what I'm understanding here? I don't know why only he has the alien broadcast. This is a stupid convenience plot. And this isn't now playing, why is this? This is a child's brain asking a basic question. Why does only this guy have this broadcast that was supposedly broadcast to the world and only Josh Gad got it? I mean... I believe what they're telling us is because a videotape was made in 1982 and mailed out into space, the aliens only know how to transmit in videotape. And so it's only going to show up on videotapes, as I think what they're trying to say. And because this conspiracy guy doesn't have cable and hasn't moved on, he is recording One Tree Hill on VHS. I don't know. Later on, they don't need his VHS player to get messages from the aliens. But yes, that is the joke of it is, remember we were always sending stuff in space or supposedly sending stuff in space. In grade school, we were told, put a time capsule together and it might be sent to space. Then we sent a teacher to space and it didn't go so well and we stopped sending things into space. But saying they were sending this tape to space felt right. Dan Aykroyd cameoing as the head of the thing felt right. Because, as you mentioned, Ghostbusters, but he's Mm -hmm. the one who was going to send this into space. And, unfortunately, I mean, we've seen this before, right? I mean, the movie Explorers that got Nick at night and came to Earth thinking that we were a horse is a horse. The premise, essentially, is it's kind of like the old Matthew Broderick War Games movie as well. Of, like, through a very bad misunderstanding, we are now facing utter Earth annihilation because of some silly computer. And all I can say is, I feel like I would accept that premise, but it's really weird that we never actually meet the planet Valula aliens. Like, we only see them sending the video games to us. We never actually have any actor or anybody actually... I mean, I like the bit where they're, like, speaking through Ronald Reagan and Tammy Faye Baker and Madonna. Like, that's a funny gag to send the We Will Conquer Earth messages. And the voice actors are on point. Yeah, but I just feel like we really, at some point, want to cut back and meet these aliens. Or maybe you save it all for the end. But it's a shocker that we will learn that this president brokers peace... But we never get to know Valuvla. I think what we're being told, though, is the video game creatures are the aliens. Like, these aliens are beings of energy. And they were beings of peace and love, Kubert's going to tell us later, until they got this declaration of war and transformed themselves into warriors. But these literally are the aliens in their new form of centipedes and Galaga beings and Arkanoid. Does anyone remember Arkanoid? I mean, everybody thinks Breakout, but... Yeah, Breakout on steroids. I had it for the NES, and so Arkanoid was my jam. <laughs> and the problem I'm having at this point is, you know, I'm, I'm following the conceit. I'm going to allow that this is all just to get us into a competition with these bigger-than-life video game characters. 
but it's two to nothing before we even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. The stakes are already way too high, and I think it would have been just fine to be one to nothing when we figure out what's going on, and we can have a couple more of these shorter back and forths in what should be the main focus of this movie, which is, you know, reminiscing about fun video games from the 80s. But I feel like we get ripped off from that a little bit. If it were just about the president and his video game nerd friend, like we, if we didn't need Josh Gad in that, we could just get right into it. But because what they try to tell us is because Kevin James is considered a stupid president, he can't act on this conspiracy information, right? Like it would look really bad if he was like, look at this old videotape and this proves that these are aliens that are manipulating our old coin ops. Like he can't risk looking any more stupid than he already does. And so because of that, we lose the Taj Mahal and we lose this other guy that's taken as the second trophy, Raj. And so now we have the military guy and Raj and they just need one more and and they've won the entire series. But the movie keeps me smiling. I mean, you mentioned Raj. Raj gets beamed up. First, he's proposing to his girlfriend by playing true. But, you know, they're in India. It's it's an Indian version of it with Indian lyrics. But, I mean, I just find that appropriate, that that would be a cheesy way to propose to somebody. And then in the background are these aliens. And then he decides to, like, selfie with the aliens. And it's that which gets him picked to be the trophy. You know, it's not smart, but it works on a animaniacs kind of level yeah i don't mind gags like this it's fine yeah it's enjoyable and now the stakes are set the table set and we need to start figuring out how to respond to this so you know what, what do we do we start tying some of these disparate characters together this is where we learn that violet is part of some military research operation and they're working on the technology that might just be the thing that we need which is some sort of light laser guns that can penetrate these pixel machines and i had to blink my eyes because i'm like she's got a robot named michael and that looks like tom mccarthy who won the oscar that year directed spotlight it is him and the thing that I had forgotten was the same year that he made Spotlight and won Best Picture and won all the Oscars, he also made an Adam Sandler movie about a shoemaker called The Cobbler. Does that ring a bell with you guys? No. Ooh, no. <laughs> it's very deep then. But like Tom McCarthy having a great year and a bad year at the same time. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of gave me a Men in Black feel, though, when you've got this robot walking around and here are your special guns they could only wish they were men in black but i think that's kind of what they were hearkening to what i really feel like is important when you're setting up a world like this is like this is where you have fun right this is where we have montages of testing out equipment and how to what works what doesn't work how can we capture one of these pixelated aliens and test on them like this should be a large part of the movie and i feel like this script doesn't give it enough consideration. Like they've already somehow figured out how to manufacture the laser that works and they're running off to London like right away. Yeah. They spend more time with the jokey. We're training these big beefcake, you know, Marines on 
old arcade machines. They thought that was the funnier way to go. Yeah, and again, like, the funny is Josh Gad slapping their asses and screaming Adam Sandlerisms in my mind. Like, I feel like, why is he stealing this movie? And why is he here? <laughs> why can't we turn the laser on him? I agree, that is the least funny bit, is when he's screaming at the Navy SEALs and whatnot. But to me, I'm glad we're getting to London pretty quick because this movie is moving pretty quick. The aliens invade 15 minutes into the film. Good. I don't want to spend that much time with Adam Sandler installing televisions and Kevin James not knowing how to read. And the one brief scene we get of Kevin James baking cakes with Jan Krakowski as the first lady... Help me. No, no, we need to stop on this because like this is what is what is that? I had to rewind to figure out this is the first lady. We're expected to understand Kevin James is the president. He doesn't have enough time to spend with the first lady because she has a make it and bake it cake shop. But they take five minutes here to rub frosting on each other before the I what at the very first scene, Adam Sandler tells Kevin James, you got to turn your phone off and 30 minutes a day focus on your wife. You know, you got to you can't let the job ruin your marriage. So what we're supposed to see here is he took that advice and he's focusing on his wife with this cake romance date. I followed that. I wasn't lost in the same way Stuart was. I was lost as to who is Jane Krakowski playing? I didn't realize she was the first lady. I thought she was just a host segment of something. You know, I thought she was somebody there for a photo op for the president. I understand what you're saying, Arnie. You want a comedy to move 90 minutes, 100 minutes, and you want to be done. But don't move so fast that I can't tell what's going on. And you have renowned comedians. I mean, I believe she was on 30 Rock and is known to be funny. I don't know who Jane Krakowski is. She was on Ally McBeal. That was where I first noticed her. And then, yeah, 30 Rock. And then unbelievable Kimmy Schmidt. She is a continually working comedian. Yeah. Yeah, she's been around forever. Right. So why can't she be funny here is, I guess, all that I would ask. Why don't we slow down and use her properly or cut her out of the movie? There was no deleted scenes on the disc, but I have to think they did cut her out of the movie. I have to think that there was more for her to mm. do, and it is gone. Mm-hmm. I had the same questions about Sean Bean, though. It's like, you bring in these <laughs> these actors, and then, like, they're in it for 10 seconds. Sean Bean was like, wait, am I in it long enough to die? No? Take it. <laughs> and even more weird, yes, they're tiny bits, but if they have a killer moment, you'll remember them forever. But what was the point? He never told a joke. Nothing he did was funny. He cleared out a soccer field so they could play Centipede. Yeah, he played it just straight. Yeah, it's way too straight. This should be gagged up. Or you should give him more of a character piece, one or the other. But, like, I just don't get what's going on in the background of this. Although I'm still kind of enjoying the idea that, look, the point is mushrooms are falling from the sky and here comes Centipede. Yeah, that's the thing is they've overstuffed this movie with name actors. I mean, not big name actors, but actors you know. And sometimes that can be good. You have an ensemble of comfortable actors who you're like, okay... I remember that guy, and he's good here. But here, I think they could have just brought in more of Adam Sandler's friends. Truthfully, this role that Sean Bean plays could have been done by Kevin Nealon or David Spade or anybody else who just happens to be hanging around smoking some weed with Adam that day. Yeah, someone funny. <laughs> and we do get plenty of that. We do get plenty of 
Adam Sandler's buddy cameos, you know. Nick Schwartzen makes a quick appearance here for no reason other than the fact that he's buddies with Adam. Yeah, but he's the only one. I mean, I'm used to so many people showing up in all these Adam Sandler movies. Chris Rock, David Spade, Nick Swartzen, you just can't get rid of the guy. Steve Buscemi, I felt so bad for him in Who Be Halloween. I mean, John Lovitz from frickin' Little Nicky. All these people just keep showing up. And yeah, the only one we get here is Swartzen, which makes me think... Christopher Columbus has more control than Adam Sandler. This is why it's not Kevin Nealon and it is Sean Bean. I think that Chris Columbus is trying to make this a modern classic action comedy. Yeah, well, I don't make it funnier is all that I can say or make it more exciting. Like I feel like he's kind of neutered this. Like it's we get centipede and that's something for people of my generation. But if you didn't know that video game, would you think it was particularly hilarious that this, you know, video game centipede, like, crawls into a lady's apartment and starts doing aerobics? I groaned. I legitimately groaned at that moment. But I will say this. To try to spice up my viewing experience this time, I popped on the 3D glasses and bought the Pixels 3D Blu-ray. And the centipede scene, the 3D in this movie is really good, but that centipede scene is a standout, seeing those centipedes come down from the sky. Oh, so this was a 3D movie in theaters? Yeah, 3D IMAX. Okay, all right, yeah. That would add something, honestly. This movie needed something. I I was feeling like I was trying to give it every break to like it, but there was just sort of a... Something dull about it. And, And it's gags like this that are sort of killing my buzz. I was legitimately impressed with some of the 3D usage. 3D usually bores me, and by the end of this movie, it the fun had kind of worn off. But during this scene, the Pac-Man scene, and even uh, the opening scene where they're riding bicycles, all had some really fun 3D. They weren't afraid to kind of come out towards you versus just using it for depth. And seeing those centipedes come down at me, I was really liking the centipede scene, I agree with you. It's not set up well enough where they should have spent a little bit more time during the training showing the classic video games that we were going to see. We saw Donkey Kong in the opening, but the rules of Centipede, I had to strain my memory for like, what are the mushrooms again? And then when it did the aerobics, I was like, oh boy, that was a misstep. That was a really uncomfortable misstep of taking the humor too far Because it's out of character. And they showed us in the training how to play Asteroids, and then we never play Asteroids. Like, you set us up for games that are never used. Yeah, and I can go either way on that. I mean, if if they would have trained specifically for the games that were to be challenged to them later on in the movie, I would have been like, oh, well, that's convenient. So, I, I can see... Kind of relying a little bit just on the nostalgia factor of, uh, most people understand what Centipede is. We don't need to get too into the weeds on explaining it. Couldn't you have gone with, hey, these were the games that were played in the championship that are on the tape. We have a copy of the tape. We know which games to train. Sure. That would have helped explain it. I can go with that. I guess on the one hand, it would take away some of the surprise because there is a little bit of a joy of going, oh, Centipede, I remember that trackball, but... That's because this movie came out in 2015, and I saw it in 2016 and didn't remember it very well. If I'd seen this in theaters, 
all of these were in the trailer, so I wouldn't have been surprised Galaga, Centipede. And that also would have limited their just vast array of characters for the army at the end, too. If it's only limited to the handful of games that they had on that tape, then it's really limiting what they can do later on. I suppose, but I mean, obviously the centerpiece to any of this would be Pac-Man. That's the one video game character, if you've never picked up a joystick... You know who Pac-Man is. You know how to play that game. They make it the center of this movie, and they make it the entryway into what's easily the best actor of the bunch here. We're going to have Peter Dinklage. They fooled me. I would have figured that Eddie Pants would have gotten the job that Sam was going to get through MIT, that he was going to have all of the success. He had all those women and everything. Already at 10 years old, I figured he would be only, he would be Bill Gates or something by this point. No, he's in prison. Did Bill Gates have a lot of women at 10? <laughs> well, no. I'm uh, Success-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's why he became so good at computers. But my point is, if he was doing that, that well at 10, just imagine where he would be 33 years later. I did not imagine him in prison. And so this was kind of a funny joke. Tinklage is a national treasure in my mind. You know, I didn't give him much credit when we reviewed him in either of the Marvel movies where I felt like he was misutilized. I mean, he's funny as the dwarf in Infinity War, but that character really is on a needless side quest anyway. And as Boulevard Trask in X-Men, I feel like there should have been some more there with him. But when it comes to Game of Thrones and this and several other movies I've seen him in, I mean, Elf, of course, but... The movie I discovered him on was a independent film from about 15 years ago called The Station Agent. Not in any way a special effects movie or a fantasy movie like he normally does. And he is the star. He did really well. No, yeah, he does a lot of varied things, and he's always good, and I thought I would hate this character from the trailer. I thought he was too over the top, you know, calling himself the Fire Blaster and doing that voice and the mullet and everything, but truthfully, he's the best actor in here. He's my favorite character in here, and you said you would have thought he had the big job and everything. They're foreshadowing his pivotal role in this, that he's going to screw them over. Mm-hmm. He has the best arc. Yeah. He has always cheated at things, and he'd hacked a cell phone company and put those random $2 charges on everybody's bills, made $15 million, but got caught. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. And then, of course, all his demands are like, I want an island and never to pay taxes. You've never seen Armageddon, but that's this is directly from Armageddon. The, we never want to pay taxes. I have demands to save the earth. I don't want to deal with traffic, so give me a chopper. Martha Stewart, Serena Williams sandwich. I really doubt that was in Armageddon. No, that specifically <laughs> wasn't, but there were some really random demands that the government couldn't do. But yeah, you know, this is a piece of modern humor I've never gotten, which is sexualizing the most desexualized people, like Martha Stewart. I mean, like all the people being like, what I want in life is to go down on Betty White. It's like, <laughs> well, Martha Stewart is like, I mean, just Google her early life. I mean, she was a model. Like she was known as a very beautiful woman. But yes, maybe not in the last, <laughs> maybe not since she went to prison. 
And yes, that is part of the humor here that it's just an unlikely menage a trois. And yeah, this guy just feels in all kinds of ways like dirty and grimy and crazy. But they need him because they're playing Pac-Man. But they don't know they're playing Pac-Man. They don't know what they're playing, but they just feel like they need more backup. They did just fine with Centipede, but then they remember, oh, there's somebody even better than us. And we're playing for the world, so we need to go get this person. Okay, it's it's a little convenient, but yeah, that it's Pac-Man works out because he cheated at Pac-Man. Yeah, I mean, they're slowly working on the ever so slightly bump of an arc that Adam Sandler character is going to have, which is that the reason he isn't successful is because he came in second at age 10 and just couldn't ever get over that. So, I mean, eventually... At the end of this, he is going to find out that he was cheated out of it. And now he's fine. He's okay. He can go on with his life and do everything he wanted to do. And still install televisions? I mean, I don't know where this guy's going. Maybe he can do some spokesperson stuff because he saved the world, but... Pixels 2! Come on. I mean, they were thinking franchise. But the fun here is, it's one I can relate to. Because it it was shocking when I played Donkey Kong Jr. and realized, like, I was now the ape. They're going to have to be the ghosts chasing Pac-Man. Pac-Man's the bad guy, and they're going to have to chase him and try to ram him on the streets of Manhattan. Uh, Felt like a good role reversal. I really liked, though, that they had the character of Toru Iwatani, who created Pac-Man. Now, I looked this up. Toru Iwatani is in this movie in 1982. If you look, blink and you miss him, but there's an arcade repairman working on a Pac-Man machine. That's the real creator of Pac-Man. The one that can't act, I'm guessing, right? (laughs) Can't speak much English if a word of it. There were some interviews with him on the Blu-ray, and it's like, you know, nothing against him. But if you're in an English-speaking role where you have to be funny, you don't want to distract people during the violent Pac-Man scene with subtitles. So they got an Asian-American actor to do the part of Iwatani. I had to look it up. I didn't know if that was the real guy or not. I knew that was the name of the guy who created Pac-Man, but no, this wasn't the real guy. It was kind of funny, though. How This was in the trailer, but it was one of the things in the trailer that made me want to see it, is, no, he's my son. Pac-Man is not bad. I created him to bring joy to the people of the world. And going up and Pac-Man biting his arm off. I mean, it's the cliche of every monster movie scientist death scene ever right like oh my creation and of course it comes back we're laughing because even before we know what pac-man is going to do it is some twisted pinocchio geppetto stuff and again you this is the best scene in the movie by far like i wish the rest of the movie tapped into the delight of the concept the way that this one does yeah i mean if you ever wanted to visualize what pac-man would look like out of the 2d realm they nailed it here You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, a grid street pattern in downtown New York, perfect setting, four mini cars of the same colors of the ghosts. All right, you're set up. I'm ready for the ride. Mm -hmm. You know what? I want to call out. They did a good job of making 3D versions of all of these 2D sprite characters. And, you know, I learned from the bonus features that even though this movie is called Pixels, because they're three-dimensional, these are all voxels. But... Making them three-dimensional voxels out of two-dimensional pixels was not easy to do and retain the spirit of the characters. They did that perfectly here. All of the CGI artists 
the colors were spot on, the expressions were spot on, but I love how Pac-Man gets that mean face going when he eats a power pellet. He's like pissed off and ready to eat you. Yeah, he's tricked them because they think they have him cornered and then he's like, oh, power pellet, here it is. Going, I mean, I, w- I would pull that move too. Let the ghost come to you and then quickly eat the pellet and get them all. And didn't you wish he ate more of Josh Gad? He almost eats Josh Gad. He eats Josh Gad's <laughs> car. I thought Josh could be his trophy. Take the whole thing. Take the whole thing. Yeah, I would have been fine with it. But yeah, I mean, this was Sam's game. And so it's only right that he ultimately does the moves, you know, with the backward while he's still blue. He's driving backwards through a parking garage, luring Pac-Man to his death because he won't be able to. I mean, this happens when you play Pac-Man. You think you're going to get that ghost before he changes back to his color and you don't and you die. But... This is also where we get the Eddie cheating stuff, because we've got the lieutenant colonel back at base watching this play out on her monitor, and Eddie suddenly is places he shouldn't have been. He's gotten through buildings and whatnot. How'd he get there? And I don't know if I remembered this from six years ago or if I just intuited, oh, he's cheating. Oh, he's been a cheater. And, you know, I have, a again, a little bit of a realism problem with this. How exactly do you enter a cheat code in an arcade game? They never had cheat codes. That was something, like, done for consoles and development. Good point. And then, how are you driving a real-life car and entering a cheat code? Where exactly is that code being entered? (laughs) Right, and this is where I feel like they missed one opportunity. I would have liked that to be a little bit more of a question until it was proven. And I feel like... The one aspect of Pac-Man that they didn't bring up is the porting through the tunnel on the side of the screen. Mm-hmm. So it would have been neat if, like, maybe they thought that he was doing that somehow. That, you know, he found a tunnel that transported them faster. Yeah, because when we cut to Michelle Monaghan, she's giving them GPS coordinates. Her screen looks exactly like the arcade game. So, like, they're doing a very funny match of, like, how we experience Pac-Man as a coin-op and how it is as a big, expensive Hollywood showdown with cars and stuff. So, yeah, they've done as well as I could hope for them to make a Pac-Man I'm glad they didn't make a Qbert though. Like they, this trophy that they get is supposed to be some kind of scene stealer, but I find him just as annoying as Josh Gad when Josh Gad pulls out Qbert. Okay. I loved Qbert as a kid. I watched the Qbert cartoon. My class, I think it was second or third grade, did construction paper cutouts and drawings of all the Qbert characters. And on the last day of school, the teacher was taking them down. I asked if I could take them home. I decorated my whole room in Cubert. So seeing this cute Cubert there who could talk and, you know, curse. And when he curses, you get the little word bubble, but you hear the curses. I was so happy. I want to pet Cubert, damn it. I love Cubert, but this, <laughs> you don't love this. I mean, this should be called Jar Jar. Like, huge miscalculation here. Wreck It Ralph did Cubert better than this. This is the character that should be explaining to them, yes, I'm actually from planet Valula, and this is what's going on. We never really have it explain the alien side of things. He kind of does. He talks about how they were a peaceful world and got the declaration of war. He does give us that insight. But to me, God help me, I like Minions. I've not seen the movie Minions, but I've seen several of the Despicable Me's, and I like the Minions in them. And to me, Qbert's just a minion. 
okay. To me, it was an attempt to try and do that and then another fail. Like, I feel like falling off trampolines and, yeah, whatever they're trying to do here to be cute and funny is eating cheese puffs, like, not working. Not working for me. I thought Cubert uh, would definitely go on a trampoline. What's the dude known for? He jumps. On discs. Color disc. They could have had him on a drone. They could have done something more faithful to the game. But that's not even my point. My point is, here's a character to speak to the alien perspective. And yes, there is a line speculation about how they received the tape and perceived it as an act of war. But didn't you want it elaborated on? Didn't you want him to be able to have some kind of connection with the people that are warring with the humans? Like, I feel like this was a complete and total botch. Well, I mean, I can take it either way because, like, I'm not super invested in finding out more about this alien race because it is, after all, just the device to get us into this video game realm, you know? Uh, No, I I think... That's the mistake. Like, you can't just have it be, oh, it's just video games. Who cares where they come from? That's your job as a filmmaker. Make us care about that concept. Otherwise, it's just a skit. This has to be a movie. I can see your point, but I guess Hubert isn't the line where I'm going to, you know, hop out of this movie emotionally. Is that a pawn? Hop out of the movie? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean. But yeah, they're doing what they can to be, I think, feel like pandering to children and Arnie, like <laughs> him wearing a tux, you know, like him just being, oh, isn't that adorable? But like not actually being adorable. Like it was, he's just sort of <laughs> irritating to me. You know, if they'd done a different character, so help me God, if they'd done Pango, I probably wouldn't be so enamored and you'd be more enamored. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd probably be just as mad because I do like Cubert. It matters to me. If they do it wrong, I'm mad. And one thing I did notice with the 3D, Cubert was always good in 3D, and they did what I called out in Ghostbusters 2016. Cubert's nose actually broke the letterboxing sometimes, so it looked like it was coming out further because it was extending beyond the letterboxed image on the screen. Okay. So help me out here. So everyone thinks it's over? Like, because they've won two games? No, they're just celebrating the two victories. It makes no sense, but they want to just throw a party and bring in Serena Williams for Fire Blaster. <laughs> right, but the, but something is, like, literally, by the end of this party, when they find out that they have to fight the aliens again, like, people are fired and Brian Cox is taking over. Yes, this would have made more sense if this would have been... A false victory. This should have been their third victory, and they thought that they had won, but then come to find out that since they cheated, it's game over. You're right. That would have been so much better, Justin. Right there. Just add in one more quick video game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Dig Dug. I'm telling you. Right. And it's... It explains why they can take this small child as a trophy and because they're not playing by the rules anymore. Suddenly they're just stealing the kid and I don't know. Yeah, it's all very half-assed and I just feel like I want some concrete rules here. I particularly about what the aliens want and how they're doing it. And you're right. As many of the games as you can bring to life, the better. That's where the movie lives. It's certainly not in the romance. No, this romance is so rote, and I'm not feeling it between these two. Their meet-cute wasn't all that cute with her crying in the closet, and every scene beyond that 
she needed to be more of the crew. Like when the creator of Pac-Man got his arm bit off and only three cars go after Pac-Man, I always felt like, wait, there's supposed to be four. She should have jumped in the car. She should have been more of the group before the very end of it. And I would have liked her more. As it is, she's standing off to the sidelines so much and seems to just exist to be a trophy, you know, we talk about trophies, and Josh Gad's going to get a crazy-ass trophy, but this feels like the trophy for Adam Sandler, is you're also going to get this smart, capable woman. Yeah, I guess. And again, she's fired for reasons, and now is part of the Arcaders. That's really why she comes to work with them, but they don't have access to their guns anymore, because, help me out with this one, the president is not returning their phone calls anymore? Huh? What happened? Yeah, I kind of lost the thread there. Ooh, yeah, real big. Like, the general was taking over. And he's mad because he doesn't want nerds to nerdify his... Like, I feel like Brian Cox is a wrong casting here. You wanted a hard-ass general. You wanted someone that had machismo and toughness. And, like, he didn't want no namby-pamby, like, nerd brigades in his army. Then I could understand why he was trying to kick them out, but I really, I don't know. I think it was because there was the cheating and because fire blaster cheated, Brian Cox feels like they've doomed the whole planet. And even the president feels like he can't trust them anymore. Does the aliens know that he cheated? I feel like the only reason why we know about cheating is because little Maddie found the, the glasses that, Eddie was wearing when he went into the harbor and they are inscribed his the lenses are inscribed with cheat codes. No. Hall and Oates say you violated the rules of combat. They know he cheated. Yeah. Alright, so that helps a little bit, but still okay, so that's why Maddie is taken. I don't know. What I'm really saying is I was having fun with Pac-Man a lot, and now I'm really confused about what's happening, and they're not slowing down to explain anything. Quite the opposite. They're racing into this climax where every video game character ever is attacking the Washington Mall. They can't wait to get to the finale, and so they haven't done the good work that makes you really endeared to these arcaders. Admittedly, I'm more endeared to the arcades than the arcaders, but I... I'm really loving, like, oh, it's Paperboy, Frogger, Joust. You know, I had to dig into my mind for which one did you ride an ostrich on? Oh, that right, that's Joust. Help me out with two of them. I got, I think, almost everyone. Who's the big red robot, and who are the purple ninjas? No, some of them felt made up. Like, I mean, obviously, the gorgeous warrior princess is made up. Yeah, well, yeah. There was never a Smurfs video game that would look like that. There was. Oh, yes, sir. And boy, was I good <laughs> at it. Yes, for ColecoVision. But the one where the woman comes from, where the purple ninjas come from, and maybe where the red robot comes from, is a game called Dojo Quest. Okay. Their game within the game that's, like, not real. Okay. But they made it real. It was released as a 8-bit throwback tie-in for this movie. Now, that's wise. I think that would be a good thing to do. From a marketing standpoint, assuming this was going to be a big hit, you would want to play the video game of it. So, yeah, why not have Dojo Quest? If I liked... God damn, it always keeps coming back to Josh Gad. But if I liked Josh Gad, I would probably like the fact that he's in love with this Lara Croft, Lady Lisa, 
weird science thing that just, I don't know what this, I, I don't get it and I don't want to, but he's in love with a video game vixen who comes to life, tries to kill him and then drops her swords and kisses him because why? He loves her and she feels something. I thought I knew this joke. I thought it was going to be like, if you kill me, at least I've had this moment. And then she'd pretend to relax her stance and then she'd decapitate him and he'd pixelate and go away for a while and come back at the end i'm not that lucky no (laughs) instead she like yeah kisses him and fights on their side maybe because i'm to understand arnie you articulated this these aren't video game characters these are the actual aliens in video game drag hearing that the earthling loves her is enough for her to feel like oh we've mischaracterized this planet maybe Oh, that's a now playing question, Stuart. Just remember, this is what a 14-year-old thinks chivalry gets the girl looks like. All right, you're right. Moving on. And I remember reading all the video game magazines in the 90s and early 2000s, and they were GQ with video game articles. I mean, there were all these scantily clad babes. Remember, Blood Rain was the first naked video game character in Playboy. You're dealing with that mentality. Woman, boobs, hot. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, they told us at the beginning that these are yeah, guys hounding for women and that's going to be a fact. Again, but Ludlow wasn't part of that. So frustrated. One more frustration. So the president shows up with a crane to stop Frogger and give them the weapons. Why? Well, because they're his friends and he believes in them. And, you know, he had to wear the Chewbacca mask from when he was a kid because that way the Secret Service didn't know he was out and nobody would try to kill the president. Okay, so they wouldn't let him be an arcader. I'm like, why wasn't he in the team the whole time? Like, that was weird to me. It was set up that he wasn't good at video games. He's only good at the claw machine. That was his only victory from the flashback at the beginning. He won that Chewbacca mask. Okay. I see all of these things, but I don't like the way that they were just kind of gracelessly thrown against the wall. Like, I feel like you want... These are winning moments. When we see the president in the crane grabbing the frogger, we should be cheering that. We shouldn't be like, huh? What? Huh? It surprised me that someone as seasoned as Chris Columbus, who certainly knows how to tell a fantasy story, is at the helm of this. Because it feels like a director that is not in control. Yeah, it it almost feels like somebody gave them five major set pieces to work with and and somebody forgot to do the connective tissue here at the end. Yeah, which is important stuff to do. I mean, I get that you want to get the Donkey Kong set right, and it's fun to be there, but it can't just be that. No, and Kubert peeing himself, that's just too far. I hate Kubert in this, so that's like, that's just par for the course. Let the fireballs get him. I do not know why Violet goes back to save him. But this is the thing is, Sam thought he lost a fire blaster at Donkey Kong. Now, Sam says he's bad at Donkey Kong. He was second place. I mean, I don't think that's bad, but he loses the confidence. And so, I guess, though, it's weird Donkey Kong rules. He and the president and Violet and Kubert... I'll have to get to the top where instead of the princesses, we got Maddie and the other two nameless people, Raj, I guess you said one of them was, and some military guy. So you have to climb up to them on the Donkey Kong ladder. But if you're going to play Donkey Kong, you need to play Donkey Kong. You can't throw the hammer over levels and hit the donkey and win. Right. 
<laughs> I don't know. I, again, it's fun to be on this set. This is fulfilling a fantasy. As someone that played a lot of these games in the 80s, I did imagine what it would be like to be inside them and uh, wanted to see a movie where, I mean, yeah, this is fulfilling some kind of inner child fantasy for Stuart. Like, he's really enjoying being on this set. That he throws the hammer or whatever, I guess... I don't have a problem with the Pac-Man and the Donkey Kong and the big and the centipede stuff. It's everything in between that's that's tripping me up. You know, this Donkey Kong stuff, I saw the behind the scenes where they have harnesses on and yeah, it's a green screen behind them, but they actually are running up red girders and there actually are ladders that they're jumping on and off of. This would be fun as hell to be the actor on. If you made a theme park where you get harnessed up and play this, I would go and live at that theme park. It's less fun to watch, especially it's just a it's kind of a fizzle for a climax of the movie. And it's like that Sam just had to believe in himself to overcome the game. He didn't actually have to win the game. Isn't that a Sandler thing though? I mean, I feel like that would be the ending of every Adam Sandler movie. Like, just believe in yourself and you're not a dork. Nope. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not doing the retrospective, so I'm I'm taking you guys, your words on this, I stand corrected, but it just, it, th- those moments don't bother me because I assume that's what you do for an Adam Sandler movie. And I, w- I was a little bothered by the Donkey Kong stuff, just breaking the rules, you know, after spending so much time talking about the patterns, and that's what makes these old video games great. But I guess the lesson is, is that he was able to move on finally from those days, his old glory days, because the kid in this movie does say, just be part of the game, enjoy the experience, pretend like you're in it, and don't worry about the patterns. And so that there gives the movie permission to break the rules of Donkey Kong, allowing him to throw the hammer to win. I I guess it all tangentially works, and it looked fine. But I, I just, kind of like you, Stuart, I didn't feel like all four of them needed to be climbing up there. Like, three of them should have been the captured, and Adam Sandler had to be the one to run the gauntlet. Yeah, he needed to be Mario, and there needed to be nobody else there, but whatever. I mean, there's a lot that I could tweak about this, but honestly, the thing that makes me maddest is, okay, so we wins by contrived means, and, like, it's time to meet the aliens and broker the peace... And, like, we find that happened, like, the president did that sometime somewhere off screen. And, like, it's just problem solved. No more video game attacks. Yeah, misunderstanding resolved. No, you have to have that moment. <laughs> we have to dialogue that. That has to be something that we feel. Like, I mean, like, wouldn't it be fun to have the Donkey Kong, like, turn philosophical or something? Like, you make him a character. No, 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 no. Not in this movie. This movie, if we saw them sit down at a table to broker peace, that's a record scratch wrong movie moment. This movie is silly and energetic. I'm not saying don't make it silly. I mean, it can be silly, but it needs to be developed. Uh, These are very underdeveloped concepts that have glued together all these video game boxes together. And all I'm asking is for a little bit of simplistic work in making it feel coherent and like a plot that we've seen in other alien invasion movies. I was fine with it because we were at the end and, you know, we went from the big climax, Josh Gad lost his pixelated girlfriend and then Hubert became a trans woman 
and well, Kubert's not <laughs> anything, right? I mean, Kubert is sexless, so that he reconfigures to be Lady Lisa is just pixels doing what they do. Like, okay, you're just a different video game character. It could have been anything. Again, what do we know about these aliens? No, but he's really a Cubert because he, she gives birth to Cuberts. Uh, yeah, again, like I feel like that's <laughs> sort of the infantile, like sex comedy, horn dog stuff that's underneath some of like we saw in the beginning here. That I don't know. I'm right there with Adam Sandler when Josh Gad is kissing the former Cubert, who's now a hot bikini-clad woman. Am I the only one who finds this weird? <laughs> yes, this is weird. Yeah, why is she kissing <laughs> Josh Gad? It's like, that's what's weird, but... <laughs> I'm not having any gay panic hysteria over it. It's whatever. I mean, it's a... I'm not having gay panic. I'm just saying it's weird for an alien that seemed like a pet to be like, I'll be your sexual fantasy now. I mean... That's the weirdness to me is it was it was very much like a cute little dog. And now you're going to f*** the dog. Yeah, it does have that quality. To Stuart's point, a little bit more background knowledge of these aliens could have gone a long way to explain that into a more normal sense. You know, they're pure love. They're pure light. Mm -hmm. What does it matter? I guess the answer is not much. We're just going to do some, you know, apologies on the lawn. We're going to see Eddie become a little bit uh, remorseful for his life of cheating and to concede that Sam is the best in the world. And then he still gets that Martha Stewart Serena sandwich and literally a sandwich. I like when Serena left him at the day. He's like, I should have picked Martha. Then I get a panini or some shit. <laughs> so Martha's up there with a plate of food and Serena. The fact that you got those actresses to be game for that moment, I loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like the ending to... This kind of movie. Like, I like that a whole lot better than a crib full of Cubert babies. And I guess Adam Sandler's character gets the girl, and she said he should go invent things. I'm like, what have we seen him do in this movie that makes him an inventor? <laughs> I think he's exactly qualified to install televisions. He played video games. Guess what? I played video games throughout high school. I wasn't qualified to suddenly design phone systems. Yeah, again, it's funny that you're bringing up Violet and him beginning together. Did they? I forgot that. Okay, great that they're going to work that out. Okay, good luck. Not even in my uh, awareness. Well, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Pixels? Justin. Uh, I'll say this. I wasn't sure what to expect of this movie. I knew that it wasn't received well. But the first half of this movie gave me some hope. Like, I was enjoying it. And ultimately, I'll say this. I enjoyed the whole thing. We can sit here and nitpick it and say that they had problems with this and that. They could have done this and that. And ultimately, it goes back to what I said early on, is if I'm watching this in the right mindset, which I think you have to be in, or it's just going to be a terrible ride, you have to go into this as an adolescent, thinking this is the way adulthood might look. And if you can get in that mindset, there's stuff to enjoy here. But there's also a lot of a mess and things that people with experience shouldn't be doing. Stuart, you said it. Chris Columbus should know better. Mm-hmm. The story should be first. And I feel like that stuff got left just on the floor just so they could quickly get to these visual gags and cool-looking set pieces. So if you're just in it for looking at that kind of stuff and some decent humor here and there, 
it's a fine watch. It's not the worst movie we've seen in the arcade by a long shot. But if I have a list of Adam Sandler movies that I like and ones that I don't like, this one's going to fit somewhere in between where it's a movie I don't hate, but I probably won't watch it again. So I won't call it a hard not recommend. And if you are an Adam Sandler fan, there's probably stuff for you here. So yes, if you're an Adam Sandler fan, I recommend you give it a shot. If you're anti-Adam Sandler, I don't recommend it. So ultimately, I'm going to give it a weak not recommend. Stuart. I mean, I feel like I really related to Sandler in this movie because I like to be able to see patterns in something. It makes me enjoy something more fully when I can look at the script and say, ah, yes, those are the pieces. It's got the act one, the act two, the act three. I don't want it necessarily to be predictable. I, I like surprises. Some randomness is fine, but it needs to be organized, needs to be well thought out. And Pixels is a very winning formula. Like, I feel like... That's all I needed to be ready for this film. Like video game characters from the 80s are going to be descending on New York, Washington, D.C. Ghostbusters want to be like Men in Black or Beetlejuice or Evolution. I'm down. I'm a sucker for that. So I really feel like there's a lot about this that lasered in on my childhood with precision. And I had fun with it. It was a delight just to be able to get the basics of this concept. And I don't have a problem with Sandler as the star. I mean, as the downtrodden nerd trying to find his place in the social pecking order. You don't need a great actor for this. He has some natural empathy. I wanted him to reclaim his glory in middle age. None of these are the problems. What I cannot forgive and why I cannot get a recommend, even though I want to desperately, is that like it's just so sloppy in its storytelling and direction. Like you can just feel them like shrugging away entire plot lines with Kevin James and his wife and Qbert and it was all just like gags. Uh, what can we do to bring the video games to life? And nobody wanted to develop why the military sees the arcaders as a threat or what the aliens wanted. Just, just the stuff that makes you like a movie. Like it's fine to like a bit, but like to like a movie, it needs to have, for me anyway, a good pattern. That's why you want to play it. That's why you want to experience it. And this film just has too many bugs in it. They needed to debug this script and Chris Columbus would have been someone I thought that could have done that. But what he delivered was very half-hearted. And unfortunately, there's a little bit of fun here, but not enough for a recommend. And when I'm watching this, sometimes I'm having fun. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes my mind is wandering. And my mind wandered to a movie that's in our book called Evolution, which was a 2001 directed by Ivan Reitman, Ghostbusters wannabe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about it too. And I, I, I recommended that movie. And in both cases, you have protagonists that aren't as likable as Ghostbusters. You have a relationship that feels pretty forced in just so that you can have a romance subplot. You have ill-defined bad guys and a huge climactic ending and a Dan Aykroyd cameo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in the end, I know that these are lesser films by far than Ghostbusters, but Ghostbusters is... Like, the best of the best. It's the one to rule them all. If you compare him to Ghostbusters, anything else is going to be not Ghostbusters. Even the sequels and remakes of Ghostbusters are not Ghostbusters. But, be that as it may, none of these films are Ghostbusters, but they have a vibe to them that's Ghostbusters-like, and in the end, I go along for the ride. And 
you know, I'm probably going to offend some people, but I lived in Florida for many years, and I lived south of Tampa. And when we wanted to do something fun and take a little trip, we'd go to Bush Gardens. It's in Tampa, couple hours drive. It was no Disney World. We knew it was no Disney World, but it was close. It was there. And so we'd go and we'd have a good time at Bush Gardens. But if we really wanted to have a good time, we'd go up to Universal Studios or Disney World. But once in a while, you just need a Bush Gardens. And that's where I feel like these are. I recommended Evolution in our book. I agree it's an underrated film. Truthfully, I feel like Pixels is slightly underrated as well. It does not deserve the bashing it gets. And both times I watched it, maybe it's just the nostalgia. Maybe it's that I've always wanted a pet Qbert, but I've had a little fun enough to give it a weak recommend. Okay, somebody did it. I wondered. I figured somebody was going to do it. I wanted it to be me. I hear what you're saying. I think we're all saying it. There are parts of this movie that for kids of the 80s, you're just going to love seeing video games come to life. But the telling of this is second rate. And for me, that's that's ultimately why I can't go with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was real close. Real close. I mean, closer than I've been in a lot of these arcade movies, but just ultimately it, it became too much of a mess at the end. Yeah. And I want to stress the problem is not that Adam Sandler ruined it. I honestly think that the problem was the script was bad and Chris Columbus didn't fix it. I agree that I'm surprised Christopher Columbus did this. I mean, he's been involved in so many movies. This is the last one. I guess he directed something last year that I've not even heard of. Christmas Chronicles 2? Oh, Kurt Russell is Santa or something. I vaguely am aware of it. Hmm. That's the only one since this. But when I look at his filmography, I have I usually think of him highly. But he's done a lot of messy movies, some of which I like, some of which I don't. Only the Lonely, Stepmom, Bicentennial Man, I Love You, Beth Cooper. Ooh, okay. I'm clearly, I've over-exaggerated his talent then. I mean, yeah, okay. it's just he's he has some classics under his belt, but Home Alone is his obviously biggest film, and then he did the sequel. So it's he's an uneven director, and he probably, I have to think, had compromised creative control, as Adam Sandler's also a producer on this film with Columbus. So I spread the blame around, and I put it more on Sandler, because Sandler just hasn't really given a shit about a script since I think Mr. Deeds. And I'm not saying that one was good, but it felt like they were at least trying something. Yeah, it was a remake of a classic movie. Yeah, but everything since then, it's just, I'm surprised I'm recommending this, because I honestly didn't think I could recommend any Adam Sandler film past 2007. But here I am. I forgot I had a good time with this, and... I'm kind of glad to revisit it and realize, oh, it's not toxic. All the things I'd remembered about it are what other people said. But when I watched it back then and watched it now, I had a good nostalgia trip. I don't think it's going to work for young people. I think people the age of Maddie in this are going to be like, what is all these ugly graphics? Why aren't they playing Halo? But for people our age, people Adam Sandler's age, yeah, it's a weak recommend. Check it out. It'll make you feel young again. And... In that way, it will also make you feel dumb again. <laughs> well, maybe this has been a positive turn for the Now Playing Arcade, because this has been one of the worst <laughs> retrospectives I've ever been on, frankly. Like, 
I don't know why I ever thought this would be a good idea to like explore how video games became movies because it never seems to work out. But we're getting closer to recommends, if not actually recommending the movie. I'm hopeful that we can keep heading in that direction. Next week, we get a a movie that came out in theaters last December. Believe it or not, there were theaters that were playing Monster Hunter. We considered going, but we were like, eh, let's wait for video. It's out on video. I mean, it would have been a really long trip for both of us, Stuart. The theaters here weren't open. Right, exactly. And uh, frankly, I just don't know that I trust Paul W.S. Anderson that much, or Mila Jovovich, to just, yeah, drive <laughs> five hours to the nearest IMAX. If you look at directors in the video game <laughs> series, I believe Paul W.S. Anderson has more recommends than anybody, thanks to Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat. Maybe he'll get them next week. Monster Hunter is a game I don't know, but we'll uh, tell you all about it next week. I'm playing it now so I can find out and talk about it. And meanwhile, this Friday, more 80s fun as we talk Dirty Harry and Sudden Impact. I think that's one of the biggest Dirty Harry films. I think like Dirty Harry and Sudden Impact are the two. They're the ones that at least have the quotable lines. Yeah, Sudden Impact is the highest grossing of the series. And you're right. It's the one that brought this 70s cop into the night. It's 1983. So like Eastwood's getting kind of old there, but it's also like my era. So it should be fun to see what San Francisco looked like back in the early 80s. Let's see if he makes our day. And you guys can make our day by making a donation to help keep this show going every single Tuesday. Look, movie schedules moved. A lot of podcasts would mean week off. We Hey, let's watch Pixels. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we are not going to give you an empty Tuesday. <laughs> yes, we work hard to keep the show coming out regularly. Never missed a Tuesday. Never missed a release date, really. But we've taken breaks. And we haven't taken a break since 2010. And none of us are feeling burnout. But that's because of our listeners that allow us to prioritize this in our lives and what's free for us to record and have fun talking about isn't free for us to produce and put out on the web. So if you want to support our show and keep now playing going every single Tuesday into the infinite future, you can do that by heading to nowplayingpodcast.com, clicking the support button at the top, and finding out how to donate to our spring-summer donation drive where, yes, we're doing the Dirty Harry retrospective as part of our Silver Level series for donors of $10 or more. We already did some pretty video gamey movies with White House Down and Angel London Olympus Has Fallen as our Platinum series for donors of $35 or more. And donors of $25 or more not only get the Dirty Harry films, but a bunch of David Fincher reviews, his thriller films, and all the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo reviews going well through the summer. So you can get Double Now playing every week until, what is it, late July, early August? Yep, all summer long we'll be dealing with some pretty classic movies. That's Seven, Zodiac, The Game, Panic Room, His Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl. Again, all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com. Click support. And we would greatly appreciate your support. And Justin Stewart, I greatly appreciate you guys putting another quarter in the arcade with me. And until next time, game over.
Congratulations. Oncoming in second! Fire Blaster is the world champ! The local Yoko looked destiny in the eye and blinked. He's a loser, and he will always be a loser. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Boom, that's my jam. We hope you've enjoyed the show. It's totally tubular. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. This is like a regular thing now. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Let's just say, it's a game changer. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Help me! Help me! You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. You want the Fire Blaster's help? He has some demands. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And just see if there's anything you can find to help us out. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Thanks for being my friend. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Perhaps our new expert advisors would like to say a few words to the SEALs. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. In ancient times, they called it socializing. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. This job is killing me, man. If I were you, maybe a half hour a day, turn off the cell phone, shut down the emails, put away the Reggie bars, and focus on your wife. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Somebody's more important. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. What are we doing right now? We're too old. It's just gross already. Now playing credits read by Brock. Do you have to say that every time? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Whoa, 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 what was that, man? Why'd you lie to him? Try not to cause total panic, yank. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Sometimes the conspiracies are real. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Oh, you just got fire blasted, sucker! Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020. 
And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. We were told, put a time capsule together and it might be sent to space. Then we sent a teacher to space and it didn't go so well and we stopped sending things into space. Ouch. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. It's been fucking 35 years. Too soon. <laughs> yeah, we've had many more space disasters since then, but okay. There was never a Smurfs video game that would look like that. There was. Oh, yes, sir. And boy, was I good at it. Yes, for ColecoVision. Did it look like that or did it look more like, you know, here's a blue square for a nose and three white squares for a hat? No, no. It was ColecoVision. ColecoVision knew how to fucking animate a Smurf, let me tell you. <laughs> Stuart's not messing around. He's dropping F-bombs on the Smurfs. <laughs> it was awesome. That's why I played that game. It was like the cartoon had come to life. I can still do the song. Yep. I stand corrected then. You have ill-defined bad guys and a huge climactic ending and a Dan Aykroyd cameo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two. His Crystal Skull makes an appearance, too. <laughs> that is true. He does own that liquor brand. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. That wasn't a dig on Spielberg in some way? I thought for sure they were somehow making fun of that Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Nope, that's Ackroyd product placements. You want me on your set? You gotta put in my liquor. That's what I envision. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised Ryan Reynolds isn't doing the same thing. We haven't seen more aviation gin. Anything else is going to be not Ghostbusters. Even the sequels and remakes of Ghostbusters are not Ghostbusters. To be determined, but yes, I agree with you so far. I'm talking about the ones that are released thus far. Right, yeah, we got a new Ghostbusters this November. Or January, or whenever they'd finally put it out. <laughs> oh, right, exactly, it could be five years from now. I'm not gonna say the tiny Stay Puffs give me a lot of hope, but we'll see. It looks like they're trying to just sell some Baby Yoda-type merchandise with Baby Stay Puffed. <laughs> 